This morning's uh, reading is from 2 Corinthians, and we're in chapter 12 and 13. And that's 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting from verse 11. That can be found on page 1166 of the Church Bibles. As I read, um, you might want to follow along, but you also might just want to close your eyes and listen and, and to hear the words spoken. Chapter 12 from verse 11. I've made a fool of myself, but you drove me to it. I ought to have been commended by you, for I'm not in the least inferior to the super apostles, even though I am nothing. I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle, including signs, wonders, and miracles. How are you inferior to the other churches? except that I was never a burden to you. Forgive me this wrong. Now I am ready to visit you for the third time, and I'll not be a burden to you, because what I want is not your possessions, but you. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. So I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. If I love you more, will you love me less? Be that as it may, I have not been a burden to you. Yet, crafty fellow that I am, I caught you by trickery. Did I exploit you through any of the men I sent you? I urged Titus to go to you, and I sent our brother with him. Titus did not exploit you, did he? Did we not walk in the same footsteps by the same spirit? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? We have been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ, and everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. For I am afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. I'm afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you, and I'll be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual sin, and debauchery in which they have indulged. We'll now continue reading from chapter 13, verse 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And I trust that you will, you will discover that we have not failed the test. Now we pray to God that you, will do, that you will not do anything wrong. Not so that people will see that we have stood the test, but so that you will do what is right, even though we may seem to have failed. We cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong, and our prayer is that you may be fully restored. This is why I write these things when I'm absent, that when I come, I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority, the authority the Lord gave me for building you up, not for tearing you down. 
That was a brilliant job um, of a passage that is not easy to read when Paul is speaking with irony. Um, That is difficult to convey when you're uh, speaking it out to people. Before we start, I wonder, can we just take a moment to bow our heads and just ask that the voice that we hear most clearly in these next few minutes is the Holy Spirit speaking to each one of us. Let's just pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for those who have faithfully conveyed your message of hope and love through the generations. Just ask now that in this time you would quieten our hearts and our minds so the loudest voice we hear is you speaking to us. Thank you that you are here present with us now. May the words that I say be helpful to this community, for us as a church, to live as your people, shining brightly for you, our saviour and our hope. Amen. So as we start looking at this passage this morning, I want to ask you a question this morning. Who is leading you? Who are the people in your life that have the loudest voices, that have some influence over the decisions you make every day? And I know we're in church this morning, so you all know that the answer is Jesus. But can we go for a moment of honesty as a community right now? Um, Because Jesus isn't the only answer, especially when we think about those people who have influence and who lead us. Um, Many of you are in jobs and have work, so you will have a boss who has some say over what you do for a good portion of time during the week. Um, Some of you may be studying and have teachers or lecturers or tutors who can command you to do things and do it by a certain time, by a certain deadline. Many of you will have, many of you, all of you will have parents or carers or people who have looked after you and who have spoken into your life. And I know that at periods in our lives we think that our parents have no influence over us whatsoever. But I guarantee you there will be a day, if it hasn't come already, when you will be overtired and something surprising will happen and the words that come out of your mouth will sound exactly like your father or your mother and you will curl up in a ball of shame. You know, there are other leaders that we choose to follow, uh, people that we really admire, that we want to be like. So we will see people and we think, you know, I really want to dress like them. I'm going to start shopping in the same place as they do, buy some of the same things. I'm going to start working out. I'm going to make sure I look after myself so that I can look like them. Or maybe there's a particular sports person that you admire. And it's not just admiring that you want to watch all the matches that they're involved in or the games that they play, but you buy the magazines and you watch their interviews and you think, maybe if I train like them or if I live like them, I can have something of their career. It even infects our workplaces. You know, if I do the same things as my boss or even my boss's boss, maybe I can get that promotion or if I take this course, or I follow the teachings of this particular leader, I can be like them, I can do what they do, I can have their life. You know, bizarrely, we live in a day today where you can even have a job as an influencer. 
don't laugh. This is a 14 billion pound industry currently. There, are, there is good money to be made as an influencer. But maybe you think you're all far, far above this as a lifestyle above Bar Church. I can see you. You are intelligent. Nobody is going to unduly influence you. You're far too smart for that. But then you get a text message that says, I'm going to this party. And you think, ooh, maybe I should be there. Maybe that's somewhere that I want to be or they're the kind of person that I want to follow. And you know, it happens in church circles as well. I'm sure you're all above this. But how many conversations have you heard from people who say, well, I'm going to start going to this church because so-and-so goes there. Or I'll go to the prayer meeting, but only if so-and-so's going. Influence gets to us in so many different ways. And it's not always a bad thing. It's good to have good influences in her life, in your life even. I don't know who she is, but in your life. (laughs) Much of this letter to the Corinthians we've been looking at over this last few weeks has been Paul dealing with some of the influences that have made their way into the Corinthian church. He's not there all the time. So this church is standing on its own, and, you know, they like having their visiting speakers. They like people coming in and talking to them. But maybe those people haven't always been the right kind of influence. The city of Corinth was full of influence. There were multiple temples there to multiple different gods. There were sports arenas and theatres. It was a place full of culture. There was loads to see, loads to do, loads to take part in. The forum, which was kind of the main shopping area and political area in the middle of the city where people would have gone to have been seen as well as to do their buying and selling and all this kind of thing, that was surrounded by statues of Greeks and Romans, the wealthy, the people from society that wanted to have influence. The people that they wanted to see as the people that they should be like. And some of that influence seems to have made its way into the church. So throughout this letter, Paul has been challenging the Corinthians on how they've allowed this influence from a group of what he sarcastically calls super apostles to come in. And you know, from the outside, these super apostles, they look really appealing. Really appealing. And You know, it's the kind of arguments that we could very easily fall into. You know, God must be blessing these people because they're wealthy. And they dress smartly. And they've got all these wonderful, smooth kind of speeches that sound so well rehearsed and so well presented. You know, they really must be right. They must be the kind of people that we should listen to, the kind of people that we should pay attention to. And by comparison, you've got this guy called Paul who's humble. His service to the Corinthian church doesn't cost them a single denarii or a single penny. He works hard at making tents. His hands are stained and raw from the kind of manual labor that he does with leather. He relies on the gift of other churches to be present in this community. And he lives a really humble, basic lifestyle. We read in other letters that he dresses modestly. 
He's not flash in what he does. We've heard in previous weeks, his speaking is untrained. He's not smooth in what he says. And you know, even his friends, I love it that in uh, one of Peter's letters that he says that Paul is difficult to understand. Sim, he is a challenging guy to read sometimes. So those of you that have struggled reading the letters of Paul, don't worry, you're not alone. The Apostle Peter, he knew exactly where we were coming from. He's not the kind of guy that fits our expectations of what a leader should be. He's not the kind of person that fit the expectations of these first century Corinthians. So, we start looking at this passage, and for a moment, Paul has stepped out of himself. He's binned his modesty, and he said, okay, let's compare the claims of these super apostles with what you know to be true about me. See, these super apostles, they claim to be Jewish Bible experts with all the right heritage. Paul was a Pharisee descended from Pharisees. He knew the Jewish laws and customs, and he was following them. He knew what it meant to be a Jew. He had been there right from the start. These Corinthians, uh, these super apostles, they've done great things for you. Well, me, Paul, I have given my entire life, even at great personal cost. I've been flogged. I've been shipwrecked. I've slept out in the cold without enough food to be able to survive simply so that you can be my focus. They claim superior knowledge of Jesus. Paul tells us at the beginning of chapter 12 of his visions of a heavenly throne room that he has been taken up to that is so glorious, so wonderful... He can't even say the the truth. He can't even reveal the truth of what he's seen. It's too mysterious and too wonderful to be able to share. And then in verse 12, he's given evidence to these Corinthians by the signs and wonders and miracles that he's performed in their midst. They have seen Paul at work. They know what's going on. Paul is open and upfront with these Corinthians about who he is. And you know the really sad thing is they know it. In verse 11, he says, you should be writing the letters of testimony about me. You should be commending me to others because you know who I am. I've been present with you. I have lived amongst you. You know who I am. You shouldn't be talking up other people. You should be talking me up. It shouldn't be my job to do this. So above bar, the first question for you this morning. Do you really know the people that you are allowing to lead you? Do you really know who they are? Maybe you do. So maybe you need to ask the next question. Do you know what these people want from you? You know, the weird thing about leadership is the culture of leadership can very quickly shift from the people that you are leading to being about yourself. You know, we see prize leaders as the people who have the foreign holidays, 
flash cars, the beautiful houses, and the front row tickets to all the important events in town. Those are the successful leaders. Those are the people that our society says we should look up to. We don't ask how their suppliers are doing. We don't ask whether these leaders pay their bills on time, whether they're following the law, whether they're taking care of people, even really how they treat their customers. We don't know whether they're fixing the problems that they've created promptly. We just see the success and the wealth and the grandeur of what they're doing. This is who our culture, who our society, tells us that we should look up to and admire. Because that's the kind of life that these people deserve. It doesn't really matter what happens to the other people that get them there. See, Paul is saying that the Corinthians need to look beyond the facades. They need to look beyond what's presented to them. Look behind the smiles and the polished performances. Because these super apostles are taking the glory, or at least they're taking the money for themselves. They are personally benefiting from their time with the Corinthians. For all that Paul has given up for this ministry, for all that Paul has shelled out, what does he want from the Corinthians? Does he want their money and their wealth? No, he says. In verse 14, he says, no, what I want is not your possessions. What I want is you. What I want is you. And to get these Corinthians, he's not asking for a great prize goes on in verse 15, so I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. He's going to give everything of himself for this church. Humanly, I think it is very rare for any leader to totally sacrifice themselves for their people. There's maybe a few exceptions. Paul talks about parenting. Parents and carers around, amongst us, you know what it is like when you care for a child. You want them to have every advantage. You want them to have the best that you can possibly give them. So when money's tight, you will forgo a few things so that they can go on the school trip that they desperately want to go on. Or if you haven't got as much food at home, then you will be the one going without a meal to make sure that your child is fed. Increasingly in our society, I know we are giving over more to look after elderly relatives and those in our families who become unwell or ill and need care. And you know how sacrificial it is to look after a sick or a poorly relative how much of your energy that costs you when you have to give up not just the things you enjoy doing, but you need to give up work as well or seeing friends, just to be there, to be present for them so that you can take them and look after them and be there all the time. You know, Christian leadership may be the one other area where people sacrifice everything of themselves. How often we hear of burnout within church circles or ministers giving up, you know, getting the call early in the morning to go and be with someone who's dying uh, or not being able to take the time away with family that they want to because something else is pressing in on their time. 
It's amazing we live in the kind of society we do. In many other societies where there is less wealth and less affluent, affluence, if you want something in a community, if you need something, you don't go to the local government for benefits. You go to the local pastor or minister who will give to you whatever he has within his church to be able to supply and to be able to provide for your needs. Church and Christian service, Christian leadership may be the one other area where someone will sacrifice everything for the benefit of others. In this letter, Paul is saying that he loves the Corinthians so much, he will give up everything he has for them. So above Bar Church, do you know what your leaders want from you? Honestly? And if, if you know what they want from you, if you know more about who they are and who their character is, maybe the one other question you need to ask is, where are they leading you? Because there are lots and lots of different definitions of leadership, but essentially the idea, idea boils down to someone who moves a group of people from one place to another. And for this kind of thing to be successful, they need followers, yes, but they also need a destination. You can't be a leader and stay still. You have to be moving. There has to be somewhere that you're aiming for. A leader without a destination is quite simply lost. And Paul has been consistent in this whole letter to 2 Corinthians about the destination he's aiming for, about the destination he's taking them to. It's not towards his benefit. He's pointing these Corinthians to Christ. Look back at chapter 4 and you'll see it in there, but Paul is pointing them to good news. And you know, the wonderful thing about a leader who knows their destination, they also know what their followers are going to need for that journey. They know the things that they need to take with them because they know where they're going. You know, if you set off on a journey and your leader is taking you to a hot place and they don't tell you about it and you're actually going somewhere, you think you're going somewhere cool, you take all your jackets with you and you're boiling for the rest of the day, it doesn't work. It's really important for a leader to know the destination so they can equip their followers for the journey that lies ahead. And to do that, the leader has to step into the messiness of what's going on. They have to spend time with their followers. They have to equip them. And Paul, in verse 20 of this passage, he shares with the Corinthians his concerns for them. He says, For I'm afraid that when I come, I may find... I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. I am afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you, and I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity of sexual sin and debauchery in which they have indulged." He's really concerned that these Corinthians are not equipped for the journey that he is taking them on. He's concerned that they're stuck in where they are. So he tells them what he needs them to do. In verse 5 of chapter 13, he says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in, your, in the faith. Test yourselves. 
You know, it's really easy for any leader to sit back and just avoid the issues. It's wonderful as a leader to pretend that everything is wonderful and not get involved in the messiness. But actually, if you're leading and leading well, you need to. Imagine it as going on this simple walk. And every person in your team has a role. There's somebody with the map. There's somebody carrying the food. There's another with waterproof clothes just in case the rain comes. And as the walk progresses, the person with the map, they fall behind for one reason or another. And the leader goes, oh, don't worry. We'll press on anyway. It will be fine. Then the person with the food falls out with the person carrying the waterproofs. And they decide at separate times to turn back. All of a sudden, there's a leader with no direction and no resources for the journey that they've set out on. It may just have been better to slow down so that the person with the map could keep up and the problem that they're facing could be solved and spend some time walking with the couple that have disagreed to calm the issue down and keep them focused on the destination and the work that you have given them to do. It's important for leaders to encourage their groups, to support them, to walk with them, to make sure that they all complete the journey together. Being a leader isn't easy. You have to be prepared to get involved with the messy stuff and work with people. There is no prize for getting to the destination on your own. So, our questions this morning. Do you know the people who are leading you? Paul was an open book to these Corinthians. All of his life was about examination. It was there, it was open for them to see. So much that the Corinthians should have been praising him to others. Do you know the people who are leading you? Do you know what your leaders want from you? Paul wasn't diverting resources from the Corinthians for his own benefit. He wanted them to use what God had given to them to be the people that they needed to be. Are the people who are leading you taking away from you what God has given you for the journey? What you should be using for his glory? And do you know where they are taking you? Are you sold out on the vision too? Is it the most important thing for your life? Is the end of the journey that you are on worth it? You know, leaders aren't always the kinds of people that we expect them to be. Jesus wasn't the kind of leader that people expected him to be. Today is Palm Sunday. It's that first day of the week when Jesus was celebrated as he rode up to Jerusalem at the beginning of the Passover week. A city that was packed with pilgrims, and crowds came running out to see him in anticipation, excited at the arrival of this Jesus into a city where the Roman authorities were there as well. Was this going to be the time when he overthrew this, overthrew this evil Roman empire? And Jesus rode into the city mocking that kind of leadership. He rode into the city on a donkey, which was a symbol of peace, not a war horse ready to overthrow with power. 
He didn't wear royal robes. He didn't go with a grand procession. This was leadership of the people, riding through the humble parts of the city, in amongst those who were poorer and less likely to be able to take part in the Passover festival that was happening that week. And rather than arriving in Jerusalem to claim a crown of gold and a throne in a royal palace, he instead faced death with a crown of thorns forced onto his head, giving all of himself for all of humanity, for anyone that would see him as king of their lives. You see, Jesus wasn't the kind of ruler that the Jews expected. He may not be the kind of leader that we are looking for. We may be looking for somebody who is magically going to transform us and bring us wealth and power and status and grandeur. And that's not what Jesus is here to do. He wasn't the kind of leader that the Jews were expecting. But he is clear about who he is and he is clear about where he's leading. In fact, in the days after he entered Jerusalem, he spent a lot of time with his disciples. And with the shock news of his death coming up, they asked him all the questions that had been burning inside him. You can read about this conversation in John chapter 14. They asked all the questions that we asked this morning, that Paul was highlighting in the lives of the Corinthians. Do we know Jesus? He tells us he is the image of the invisible God. Anyone who has seen Jesus has seen the Father as well. Jesus is God with us. Not absent, but walking the streets next to us. Present in human history with us so that we can see him, see who he is. Do we know where he's leading us? He's prepared a place for us. He's gone ahead of us to prepare a place with his Father for us. We have a certain destination, a certain and sure hope of what is to come. So what does he want from us? Well, he wants nothing and everything. Nothing that we can earn or do or say No events that we can attend or put on for other people will earn us a place with his Father. The cost is too great. We can't afford what we would have to pay. In fact, the cost is so great that he has paid it all for us. Jesus has given all of himself for us. So what does he want in return? Well, he wants everything. He wants all of us. Not just the bit that we're giving this morning, but all of us, all our lives, all that we own, all that we possess, first for him. Our whole beings given over to Jesus as king of our lives. That's what Jesus wants from us. That's the Jesus that we worship. That's the Jesus that we follow. Pray that you are following this Jesus too.
that this is the Jesus that leads your lives. Let's pray. Jesus, we worship you. We bring all of ourselves to you. We want to acknowledge you as Lord and Saviour, as King in our lives. There is nothing that we can bring ourselves. All we can offer is us. And pray this morning that your spirit will have been speaking to us and challenging us that we would present all of our lives as a sacrifice to you because you have already given all of yourself for each one of us.